and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Rear Window, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, starring James Stewart and Grace Kelly. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Cameron. I've been thinking about lenses after watching this movie. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> Got that uh, 100 to 600 <laughs> lens or whatever. It's amaz- amazing, like, just how sometimes when filming stuff in a movie inspires you and then you're like, I think I need a camera, you know? Camera, yeah, I, exactly. I, I genuinely, exactly. like, I went down a rabbit hole this week because I was like, well, I could, <laughs> I could get a used cinema camera. I could... You know, I could get a lens and then I like join this Bay Area like filmmakers group on Facebook. I don't know why I was on Facebook. Um, it was it started out as work, but, uh, you know, it always <laughs> devolves into something unproductive, which I think is the point of it. Um, but anyways, I, I, I felt somewhat inspired by this film's camera work and whatnot and don't do like, it. Oh. It's an endless money pit. I know. Okay? <laughs> I was like, I got too many expensive hobbies, you know, from audio gear to video I games know. and guitar pedals. I need to just stay away. And <laughs> and plus, you know, this is what I've always said about working with the camera. If I'm gonna hold it, you're gonna pay me to do it. You know, that's basically how I feel about doing video stuff. It doesn't it doesn't uh, fuel creativity in me anymore. As a matter mm. of fact, it just drains me. So, uh, which is kind of strange to say on the show, especially as you intro it as a casual. Uh, <laughs> fan, uh, you know, casual and movie expert. I never did anything uh, in in like movies with video work. It's always been related to marketing or or I guess online digital stuff. Um, well, interesting. It's an interesting kind of pa- pairing with this movie because you know, obviously, um, I think this movie has a lot of weird kind of foreshadowing of certain things about like the internet and about like mm. culture of of you know watching and eavesdropping on people and kind of right. peering into people's lives in that way um but in a lot of ways like i feel like i am james stewart in this <laughs> in this in this movie sometimes you know what i mean where you're yeah. you're just you're looking you're you know you're you're being very nosy about uh, about people um but i think i think it's it's just interesting because you know he's you know he's a photographer um and but that kind of attitude of um using your tools as kind of um uh you know to to be a little bit nosy and to be you know inquisitive about things i feel like people are doing that all the time nowadays like everywhere you go you know you see someone breaking out a camera breaking out their phone you know recording or doing whatever and there's so much footage that's happening online it's it's pretty it's pretty insane what uh what's actually out there so i i always i just found that kind of a fascinating element of uh of the movie but as you can tell i'm excited to talk about it yeah yeah i don't want to swing too into it but i like where this conversation is going so i'm not going to cut it off we usually go into a bunch of other tangents i just want to jump off what you're saying cameron uh, in two different directions. One being, um, as you're talking about how people dive in and kind of utilize their phone cameras or they're utilizing the technology around them. We think about like the 20th century and the way that we have all these like photographs of like legendary moments. Mm. Like, have you ever seen those like reels and, and TikToks and things like that where it's like famous photos, right? 
Um, but it's crazy how someone captured these like wild moments. Like, I don't know the blimp that flew above the city and then caught on fire and burned. Right. Okay. So somebody was able to record something like that, seeing something huge in the sky. It's like, Oh yeah. Like we should probably record this, you know, that makes sense. But then there's stuff like JFK's assassination where it's like, why do we have that on video? I don't know. Yeah, there's there's but, lots of lots of footage about I mean, not not lots, but there, you know, it was people who were just there recording. Same with say, same with the Hindenburg. It was a local news crew right. um, who who ca- who captured that that footage of it, but, you know, touching down. And then but I actually think f- photographs from the 20th century are even more crazy to me because you know you, you you get the the photo of um, Lee Harvey Oswald being shot um, or you know there there's there's a certain certain moments where they get like the perfect still frame have you ever seen that photo it's kind of graphic so don't look it up if you're um, if you're a little squeamish but there's a photo of it's I think it's an assassination of um, like a, a North Vietnamese um, either general or prisoner of war. Um, and they capture it right at the moment where he's pulling the trigger. It is like, it's impossibly timed. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that picture, but no, um, no, it I am not Cameron. <laughs> it is crazy. But, but that's what I mean. It's like, there's, there's some of these moments where you're like, wow, how did they, how in the world, like, you know, and you got to think they were clicking and then, you know, you've you've used a film camera, or you you've seen me use a film camera before. You know, it's like, it's not a fast, <laughs> it's not a fast art. You know, right, right. Well, I I think like that idea of like multiplied records of history being like you know archived across the internet and now becoming part of like some kind of timeline that people can look at. It's it's almost too much to the point of it being like meaningless where it's like an old photo of something le- like in the 20th century holds so much weight. Cause it's kind of rare, even though mm-hmm. we have a lot yeah. of these moments, we miss so many. Whereas this time, like everything is so intensely captured that it's kind of like, it's become this information overload where it's, somewhat meaningless and i'm not trying to make this overly depressing to start the show right but it (laughs) it it made me think about because this movie triggered that in my mind right it made me think about you know how we had these like rare moments captured uh on camera because i was thinking about that right and then how we have like this kind of information overload and how Mm. that is sort of tied in with this movie but actually to me it really had me reflecting again on another movie we watched this year, um, which is Jordan Peele, Jordan Peele's latest film, uh, Nope. Right. Which is the idea of like, if you actually capture something on video, like who cares, you know, like how Mm -hmm. do you even know what you're seeing is like genuinely real at this point, you know? No, it's true. Um, and that just kind of sent me spiraling. Cause I, (laughs) this actually this morning I, I was listening to a podcast where they were like, talking about biblical miracles and they were like, well, you know, like they talk about like all these miracles in the Bible happening, right? You know, like how come we don't see those things happening today? And the first thing I thought of thinking about the themes that we've thought about is I was like, if you actually saw it, would you really believe it anyways? You know, if it was literally (laughs) captured on camera, would you be like, 
oh, sure. No, there'd probably be a moment of like, ah, that's CGI or, oh, that's faked or something like that, you know? Like, and it's just weird that this old Hitchcock movie, um, it's in the basis of like some guy's word saying like, I saw this, you have to believe me. And he's holding a camera without taking a photo too, right? Which yeah. is kind of a whole nother thing, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty crazy. Um, but it's, <laughs> but an, in- it's I, an interesting thought. I mean, it really is. And and the sort of the abundance of things that, that do happen that are kind of inexplicable. Um, you know, everybody has those moments in your in your life that you you feel something or you see something or you hear something that is, you know, you hear your name called out uh, like, and nobody else is, is in the room or something. You know, there's, there's just these moments where you're like, that was pretty weird, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and yeah, and, and there's, there's a struggle I feel like to, to, uh, <laughs> to get people to believe you, I guess, or to, to, you know, there's like, everybody has those, those experiences, but, to make it um, to make it understandable by someone else, it's pretty it's pretty un, un unreasonable to think that someone else is going to believe you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you know. I this is why I always talk about like, oh, I think everybody has like this feeling of something spiritual. Whether it doesn't matter, like no matter where you're at in terms of like what you believe in, like if you've gone to a concert and been moved by music and your skin crawls. You're like, I don't know how to explain that. Or you see something in a movie that triggers a nostalgia and you can't stop crying at the end of Toy Story 3. It's like, there is something out there. And I mm-hmm. and, and, and the other thing that really makes me kind of like really revel in it is when you see something that is explained by science, but still no one like can really believe it. Like, for instance, a few summer, I think it was either last summer... Yeah, this last summer, I we saw my dad and I were out at this pool and we saw this meteorite that was literally blazing green fly mm. across the sky. And like it wasn't kind of green. Like it was like that could probably be the green goblin, you know? Like I don't even <laughs> like I genuinely yeah. am is am terrified of what we just saw. You know, it had the sparkles and everything. And we're sitting there like trying to explain it to people that just came outside. Oh my goodness. We just saw this like blazing green ball thing fly through the sky and everyone's like, Oh, you know, sure. You know, Oh, that's, that's cool. (laughs) I was like, no, but like if you were there, you would be like, Whoa, you know? And I was there with someone else. Right. Um, which made it even more interesting because we were trying to explain like how we just had our minds blown by some weird thing in the sky. Right. Mm. Um, and everybody was just like, yeah, you know, sure. Sure, you saw it, you know? You don't you didn't take a video, right? And yeah. even if we took a video, it's not like you really would have been able to see it. So um I think this is a great thematic setting, Cameron, but I do want to know uh what you watched this week, if anything else outside this film. I haven't watched anything this week. Um it has been busy for me, and I have just barely squeezed in this movie <laughs> for this week. So, you know, it is uh one of those one of those uh, breakneck weeks but i i do feel like once we go into um the holiday season i'm gonna have a little breathing room which is nice so maybe i'll get to watch some some more movies i'm actually thinking about because this movie i um spoiler alert i really loved and it reminded me of a handful of other movies um that i think are probably directly based off of 
the the themes and the topics of this movie. Um, one is called The Conversation, which I think I've probably talked about um, a little bit on this show. Uh, Coppola, I think maybe his, his best movie, but um, it's very kind of inspired a little bit, I think, from this. And also it's inspired by another movie called um, Blow Up. And uh, that, I think, is directly inspired by this. Um, and then there was a, a John Travolta movie, actually, in the 80s that was called Blow Out. It was Brian De Palma directed it. And that was a remake of Blow Up, sort of. Um, and so all of those movies are kind of like tying into the same themes of uh, finding something that you weren't supposed to find, essentially. Um, all in different formats. You know, so Blow, uh, Blow Up is about a, a photograph um, that he's investigating. Blow Out is about an audio clip. Uh, the conversation is about is also about um, sort of overhearing something um, and being being a little tricked into not not realizing what you're hearing. That kind of thing. Um, all of these are kind of eavesdropping movies in a bit, um, and I, I think it's a really interesting topic. And I I kind of I want I want to I want to revisit conversation and and watch the other two because I haven't seen them so. That's my that's my forecasted plan. I don't know if I'm going to get to it, but hopefully I will. <laughs> well, it is like, you know, the season to watch other movies, you could say, like festive Like movies, Christmas right? movies? Like Christmas movies. You weren't planning to watch any of those? You I've watched watch... all of the Christmas movies there are <laughs> that, that exist. I mean, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you have not seen the movie that I went to go see in theaters oh okay uh, this year <laughs> what did you called say violent night oh i heard uh, i heard that was good with david harbour who's uh um hopper from stranger yes. things right uh, he plays a disgruntled angry santa who is out delivering christmas gifts and the ads are like you know, Santa with blood on it, it's like beating <laughs> up people, right? Sure. So I went into this movie with really low expectations. You know, it was kind of one of those moments where I was with my sister's husband. We were hanging out and the girls were like, hey, we actually want to hang out a lot longer. Can you guys like not come home yet? And so we were like, <laughs> okay, sure. You know, like let's go yeah. see this movie. Um, And we had really low expectations, but I have to say like, I think this film is kind of fun. I, d I really didn't have a lot of issues with it. It's stupid, yes, but like it was at least competent enough to set up a plot line, like why Santa's beating up people, you know? <laughs> because it starts yeah. with him being like completely upset with being Santa. You know, he's like, kids don't care about me these days. So he's like, he's like at a bar, like pounding beer, you know? Uh, and he's like, well, I got to get back to delivering gifts on Christmas Eve. And he ends up getting caught at this house that uh, is like a rich senator's house. And on Christmas Eve, there's like this black ops team that's there to steal money from her vault. And so they end up like shooting guns and it scares the reindeer. And Santa's stuck there. And the only reason he gets involved is because he feels bad for this little girl that's stuck there. But the, there are all these rich, like, you know, terrible people in this house getting robbed by equally terrible people who are using code names like gingerbread and like Krampus and whatnot. <laughs> They're all, it's like, it feels sure. like a call of duty level or something. It's very weird. Um, 
but it, it has a lot of fun with like just violent kind of Deadpool esque humor. Um, there's a great scene in the film that plays out a home alone sequence with the little girl, but it's rated R. So they have a ton of fun and they're mm-hmm. making fun of the fact that they're like these home alone booby traps won't work. And then it ends in like a grotesque saw like death where they get hit on the head with a bowling ball and they're like a nail falls into their mo- their brain or something like it's just it's it's funny. But I have to say the most horrific element of the film was standing up at the end, turning around and looking at like six elementary school kids. They're watching the movie <laughs> with their parents. This movie is so violent and so inappropriate in terms of like language. There's nothing like sexual, but it's just brutally violent. Like, sure. Yeah. Like, there's a part in this film where Santa uh, takes off his shirt and he's got like Nordic tattoos. <laughs> And he, he, I guess, like, part of his origin in the movie is that he was a Viking, but he, like, let go of those ways in the past to become this joy thing. I don't know. Very obscure, but, you know. And he's, like, he's like stitching his wound with, like, a needle. Uh, <laughs> and it's just nasty. And so we get up, and these kids are behind us. And the whole they thought time, it was thought the it, greatest thing ever, didn't I they? I thought it was adults. I thought it was adults who were clapping. I turn around and I find out it's children who are <laughs> clapping. And even, even my sister's husband was like, dude, that ain't right. Like, like he was just like straight up, like, that's, that's too far. So, it, that's it's so just, funny. It, Cameron, you know Austin, right? Like, can you yeah. imagine him being like, that's not He's right. He's like, oh, <laughs> that's that's too much for these 10-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Like Austin's the kind of guy that's gonna be the uncle that takes the kids to bad movies. Yeah, but even exactly. He was like exactly. he was like, uh-uh. I mean, to be fair, much. it is called Violent Nights. So I, I you, don't you you'd think. You'd think someone you know, like Krampus, maybe. I guess I mean it's still rated R, so like do the but you know, I I don't know. Some parents well, do they, things differently. These kids loved it. Let me tell you. I'm you sure know? they did. I I would love it too if I was ten. So you know they got. I'm telling you, this definitely feels like a Call of Duty inspired movie. There's even a snowmobile with guns scene mm. towards the end. So, uh, you know, if you're looking for something stupid, I would say that this is right up your alley. And I was surprised how much fun they had with the with the film. And I do want to say that I don't know who directed it or put it together, but it did feel like a younger group of people that put yeah, this so film the, together. So the director, um, I was just looking at this, his name's Tommy Workola. And um, funny enough, he made a movie called Dead Snow, which I don't know if you know about, but it's kind of mm. a, it's a, it's a pretty famous B movie, really low budget, um, like Nazi zombie movie. Um, oh, and uh, it has, it, it kind of has the same sort of hokey, um, interesting vibe, but I think that's kind of the only thing that he is known for. Um, but that's that's like that's his you know his major claim to fame. That was a long time ago. That was that was that was more than ten years ago now. So um, you know, I mean, he's he's still doing it. He's still doing the low budget, uh, kind of hokey, violent thing, which is cool. I mean, you know, like if that's, um, you know totally nothing against that i think i think there's a there's an audience for that and it seems like it seems like this has gotten some traction uh um, yeah 
So I, I do think that there's an element of this film that shows that this director might be a little more serious. And I think it's because some of the action comes across as like Captain America slash Deadpool esque. Mm-hmm. The jokes, they're not excellent, but they do land. There's some execution uh, that I think maybe appeals to a wider audience. And um, I think the fact that they got uh, David Harbour behind it, like he he definitely carries the role very well. Um, and I think it got audiences excited. So I, I could see this guy actually doing something like a Marvel miniseries. He'll be in the Hollywood chain pretty soon here after a movie yeah. like this. Well, then, interestingly, this this movie, I, I kind of... Uh, <laughs> I I said low budget, um, but I really I guess it's not because twenty million dollars is the budget, which is not that low budget, to be. I'm honest. sure it's I'm sure it's already made its money back though. Um, uh, it did, yeah. It, it made yeah. twenty six million opening weekend, so yeah, really good. Um, better, kind of better than the the Fablemans, I think. Um, <laughs> which, well, the, better than the Fablemans this week. So I don't know what the Fablemans opened at, but. Yeah, pretty pretty sad showing <laughs> for that movie. Uh, yeah, I I do have one other point of contention before I shill about Patreon. I had to watch the new Avatar trailer in the theater, and I just do not understand this, Cameron. Like, I need I need to meet someone that loves Avatar, and I think I did actually. Mm. One of my one of my great friends, Travis, texted me and my brother and said, "Guys." we're going to go see where the water when I'm back. Right. And I was like, are you serious? Like what? Like, I don't even the that movie's trash. And he like, didn't text me back. I think, <laughs> I think he, I think he was genuinely offended. So I don't know. Oh, like, no. I want to Does see Travis that. listen? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but I would, I would love to see a movie or I'd love to see the avatar movie with someone that actually likes the franchise. Cause I feel like that was so long ago. I just don't. I I don't know. I don't. Am I supposed to be impressed with graphics now? Like, yeah. It's well. It's interesting because I um I never liked uh I never liked Avatar, and I do I I so I didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it on a 3D TV, which is kind of a weird experience. I will <laughs> I will have you have you know it. 3D TVs, I don't know if anybody knows this, but there was a there was like a period of maybe two to three years where they were like the hot new thing. And I had a friend who had one. Um and it was it was not that good, but it was interesting and cool. Um but uh yeah, so I did see Avatar on the 3D TV, which was weird. Um and not as impressive, I think, as in theaters, but it it was not a very good movie. I I never liked it. I thought it was boring, like story wise. I just didn't think it was that interesting. Um, but the I I think back then it really was like probably breathtaking um, for people to see. But I really don't. I don't I, have that same experience. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theaters. Like I'm all, I'm I'm pretty positive I saw it in theaters. In 3D? No. No. I don't actually my dad was always like anti 3D when I was growing up, which I think is kind of funny because he was sort of ahead of the curve. Did it make him sick or something? 
Yeah, he was even motion sick, and he was yeah. like, it's just not enjoyable, you know. And I like, agree. Okay. Yeah, but but he was like, okay, you can you can come see this movie with me, and we watched it, and I just remember thinking, I want to play Halo, <laughs> and that's it. Like afterwards, I was like, I don't really like this. I, I feel more emotional playing Halo than watching something like this. So, um, well, the nice thing like- about or I say the nice thing, the good thing about Avatar. Um, it was industry leading in certain ways. And I do think, um, uh, you know, the sort of real time 3d and, and that whole previs situation is pretty important for the industry nowadays. And I, I do think it would have taken probably a long time to, to, you know, push that into productions without, um, James Cameron and without, you know, Avatar, but, and also to be fair, um, it is the highest grossing movie of all time still. And so, you know, it's, it's an impressive feat and you got to give them that. I don't like it that much, but you know, it, it made a lot of money. So, you know what? I mean, why wouldn't they do a second movie? I'm worried about this one because I think, I think there was production hell with involved in this. I really do. I don't see how this movie could take whatever it was, like 13 years to make without a certain amount of oh yeah, mishaps in in production. So I don't think this one is going to be very good. And I'm cautious about any of the other ones being actual. Like I don't think this one's going to make as much money. I really don't. So um, I just th- we'll I see. think I think they missed their window on it. I I agree. The only thing that kind of has me interested is that I felt pretty neutral walking out of the first film, and the only reason I feel any sort of emotion towards the franchise is because of how neutral I felt and how so many people were crazy about the film. I was like, I don't get it. I don't see it. Right. Yeah. Um. So with this film, I'm kind of wondering if the universal appeal of it will just make it kind of this monumental success just internationally, right? Like if it can resonate with audiences outside of the U.S. in a way that feels almost like a story, almost like a fable or something like that, like a like a, just kind of like this thing that, you don't really know what it means and you don't really need to know. Like it's kind of just you're, you're, you know, listening to like Goldilocks or something like that. Um, which, you know, I, I kind of, there might be something to that. I just, they're, they're like showing themes about family with this new one and I'm watching it and I'm just like, I, I don't know. Like I, it, it, there's not a lot of humans in it. I don't understand the blue people that much, so <laughs> I don't, I'm not. I don't. I, I'm not getting that emotional draw with it. Now, if you want to see a sci-fi epic on the big screen, I'm telling you right now, don't miss Dune. Dune two, like that. I, I, Tim texted me today. He was like, "They finished filming." I remember. I was like, I saw that movie. I took my dad to it. I was like, Dad, this is one of those like Avatar movies, you know. 
And he was like, okay. I guess that didn't excite him very much. <laughs> but we went to see it, and he was like, his face melted off. He's like, dude, that was like, wow. You know? Yeah. So um, if you haven't seen that, and you're looking for sci-fi stuff, that will have you being like, what did that mean? And then you should watch it twice. I'm a big fan of that. So this is Cinema Spectator. Of course, we're talking about movies. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars your way. Help out the show. We're a small production. Your donations are mostly just supporting small creators make content every week for you. Uh, you can have your question read on air if you write in on Patreon. I'm thinking, Cameron, in the new year, we might start doing something where I post regularly so we don't seem like the laziest patron in the world. Uh, <laughs> to be like, hey, ask your questions even if there's no response. But I feel like we have more listeners that like don't write in and we don't have like a ton of patrons that are like, oh, we want to write in, you know. I think um, they're shy. So, it's 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 unusual. I maybe we can bully them into asking questions. Well, I'm obnoxiously in marketing now, so I'm like, I feel like what encourages people on other shows <laughs> to pay is they hear other people's inquiries, you know? Yeah, it's and true. Then it's true. And they're like, oh, I want to write in or I want to say something next week. I've been feeling that way about my podcast that I listen to, and I'm like, I want to write in. And then I, <laughs> I just never, like, ever take the jump to, like, pay and write in. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's um, you have that ability. If you feel like you want to steal the show, write in. We will read your question. We'll try not to bully you that much, but if it's a bad question, we will. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can check us out again at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Uh, some things are happening over there or not, and you can just support us. If you don't have a few dollars, you can give us a rating, share the show. All that stuff helps the show grow. Cameron, I appreciate you doing the show. Darren, we appreciate you being our executive producer for a long time. It's time to talk about Rear Window. Give us a synopsis, Cameron. Yes. So, Rear Window. I just watched this movie, so I I know it very well. Um, <laughs> takes <laughs> um, takes place uh, when a photographer. He's I think he's kind of a photojournalist, um, awarded very you know esteemed. Um, he ends up getting in a crash. It kind of establishes earlier, early on that he's taking a picture while he, he gets in this, in this accident and he ends up breaking his, his leg. He's in sort of a full leg cast for the entire movie. And, um, you know, it takes place during this time where he's, he's essentially stuck in his house because, you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's not really able to get around. Uh, and he's picked up this habit over the last uh, seven or so weeks of watching his neighbors on the outside and kind of peering in their windows. He lives in New York, so it's all very sort of close together and bunched up. Um, and, you know, he could see a lot of what's happening. So he it's kind of recreational for him at first. He's looking at the the lives of these people. They're going about their days. He has he gives them nicknames because he doesn't really know them, um, which is an interesting theme of this film. I think we'll talk about a bit. Um, uh, so you know he's got someone who uh, you know plays plays the piano and is kind of heartbroken and and is uh, a creative, a struggling creative in that way. Um, there's a married couple who's uh, you know fighting and bickering in, in that way uh there's a a woman he calls miss torso who is a you know aspiring dancer um there's a woman who is 
very lonely. She's kind of elderly and, uh, you know, doesn't have any, anyone around her. Um, and so she, you know, she kind of goes on pretend dates and, and, and whatnot. And then he has his own sort of issues with, with his own relationship. He, um, he has a woman he's courting, I guess, a girlfriend, you could say. And um, they're together, but he's more interested in his work and uh, going to different countries and getting the story. And she wants him to kind of settle down. She's a fashion model. She wants him to, to join the studio system and kind of do the normal job uh, and get married and and do that kind of thing. Um, and so his, you know, the, the, the premise starts off when he, he notices something unusual about the neighbor with the bickering, uh, husband and wife who have kind of, uh, some of their, their usual quarrels have changed a bit. Um, and he notices, uh, some, closed windows when it's very hot in New York and uh some and and the man is leaving and coming back at at very unusual times and so he starts to suspect him of murdering his wife and that's kind of where the rest of the the story picks off it all takes place in his apartment there's not really any other scene changes um you know it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere else, but basically his apartment. So, um, interesting use of setting in that way. Um, and a really elegant way to, to sort of set up this, uh, this spying on your neighbor's, uh, uh, premise. So. Yeah. I think let's just talk about how the movie is set in that one apartment for the entire film. Yeah. This is what I love about like master craft <laughs> directors yeah. is when they like downscale and really see what they can do in a small space. And I just got to say like, this is the best Hitchcock movie I've watched. And it's because he's got that like sniper scope accuracy in, in this film. I think the way that it, kind of presents the different windows into other people's lives and the camera movement and everything like how you're witnessing the neighborhood from inside. It's so um, true to, you know, James Stewart's perspective. And I, I think what's what really like makes it a feat is that there are so many scenarios where they could have broke that immersion, mm -hmm. um, especially towards the end when people are starting to move around outside the apartment and it remains stuck in that apartment and it adds actually so much more yeah. by being stuck there. Right. And it, and it helps James Stewart's character has a broken leg and, and all of that kind of floods together to, at the end where uh, you are stuck in this one apartment witnessing what's going on out there. And you feel that like isolation began to creep in on a bunch of different sides. It bring it's super thrilling, mm -hmm. um, and it's what I love again 
about when directors, they usually do this early in their career. Um, the only other one that I can think of that has went to a smaller scale like this uh, was when we watched Panic Room very recently. Um, though, to be and- fair, Panic Room was is still kind of early in his career, though it is a bigger budget than, than you know, some of his his earlier movies. It is after Fight Club, which, you know, is by some accounts his best movie, but... Right, um, right. Fincher. We're talking about Fincher. Yeah. Yeah. And and because uh, when we watch Fincher movies, right, like we started with Seven, which I think, you know, has a lot of different environments, fight clubs all over the place, right? And to kind of strip it back into a single house, right, there's something about that that although it was just raw entertainment, it was effective entertainment, right? And I think what I loved even more about Rear Window in comparison to the Hitchcock movies that we watched is that it's so entertaining and it has a lot to say, which is what we talked about last week, (laughs) saying, man, we still feel like he's not really saying all that much and he's just loving the thrills, right? Um And even when he's trying to say something kind of like with our opening conversation for this episode, right? Um, It's fun to look at it in retrospect and and throw a bunch of ideas around. But like reading into it in the future, there's so much more meaning into something that he was maybe subtly considering at Mm -hmm. the time, right? It's it's very like understated. Obviously, the themes about like people, you know, peering into other people's lives and and whatnot, like uh, or the way that like social interaction uh, between individuals like degrades when they're so invested in watching other people and what's going on with them. Uh, there's a great interaction between uh, his nurse, Stella, uh, and James Stewart's character, LB, where she's talking to him. She's asking him a bunch of questions, but he's just glued to like looking outside the window. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And Stella's like, well, this is a very riveting conversation. (laughs) And what's weird is that it's like a comedic moment. But when I saw a scene like that, it's like, okay, maybe maybe Hitchcock is talking about watching TV. But now that kind of conversation is like in our coffee shops and our restaurants, everywhere we go with like, you know, smartphones and stuff like that. And I'm like, now that means something. Like he's ahead of the curve pointing out behavior that he's like, this could be problematic and I'm going to use it as a comedic thing. But it's like, that's what I wanted to see. You know, that's what I wanted. Like, like there's like the, the wisdom or the Mm -hmm. might and all of it is so satisfying because it's conclusion and it's storyline and it's execution is all like just done so well. Right. Um, That it was hard to, you know, look at the end of the movie and not be like super excited about what's going to happen in those last like 20 minutes, you know? Absolutely. Uh, Because you're sitting there and you're like, Oh my goodness. I'm like super invested in this film and the way that it kind of encroaches this darkness around you, especially with like those ending moments, right? Where it feels like the, it really, um, I think the one thing I was thinking about is how like Hitchcock is, he's known for these thrills, right? But this movie feels like instead of a roller coaster ride that goes up and down, like the movie we watched last week, um, what was that called? Vertigo. I wanted to say Psycho. Vertigo. Vertigo. 
Um, he's got the O's, right? Not in this one. Um, rear no, window. Rear window. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> rear window. Uh, it feels like one of those rides at an amusement park where it's just like one climb mm-hmm. and one drop. Yeah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? De- definitely. Where like you, you can see where it's going. You can see how like it's going to operate kind of pretty early on. But you don't know when but, it's going to drop. And when it does, it's, it's surprising, you know? Yes, yes. And I think it's not even... What I loved about this film, too, is that it's not even that there was a crazy twist, which I think no, yeah. Vertigo has a wild twist. And so I want to make that clear. I do not think this movie is like a major twist, like, wow, like oh, I can't believe that happened. Instead, it stays fairly grounded. Of course, you're stuck in this one apartment, right? <laughs> Doesn't do anything wild. There's no like psychotic breakdown of the of the human mind, you know. Um, instead, it, it really like I don't know. It's just it's just like that roller coaster with the one drop. You're like I know, like you see it. You're like clearly the cart is gonna go down at some point. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But once you hit that peak, your gut drops and then you ride it down and the ride's over. But it's just that thing, you know, like where you're like, I can't be scared because I can see it. I'm outside the line. Everyone knows that's what like where it's going, you know? Yeah. Um, But somehow like the thrill punches. Cameron, I want to know, like, I know you said you liked it, but kind of rave with me a little bit no i i totally agree and and i think one thing you know we mentioned uh him talking about sort of peering into other people's lives and and the implications of you know being so focused on something else that you're missing what's happening in front of you um but i i think another interesting element to this is the um you know he he talks or this movie uh a lot is about how when people are so smushed together and so um, close, they actually get driven further and further apart from each other and they, they feel less connected. And, you know, there's that moment, I, I won't spoil what happens, but there's that moment where, where, you know, one of the neighbors is kind of yelling out the window in, in agony and um, basically proclaiming like what, like why would, this happen you know like why would anybody do this um and as much as you can see as much as this is basically a public courtyard um nobody really knows or cares about who has done this you know particular thing and so it's just so interesting how he um he's already thinking about how how disconnected we are in in sort of a modern uh, urbanized world where, you know, we're all sort of, uh, you know, trying not to be nosy almost, you know what I mean? Where, where we're, where we're not looking in at what happens. And it reminds me of, um, there was a case in New York, um, where, you know, a woman was calling for help, uh, and nobody on the street, uh, would come down and, and help her basically, you know, she was in a very public place and she was calling for help. Um, and you know, no, nobody came because there was, you know, basically everybody was like, we don't want to get involved essentially. Um, and so there, there is something to that in this movie where it's like, 
there there's something very sinister about that that element where you know even in well i don't know i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything because it's so it's so good but but in the later moments with the lady who um is very lonely and uh and you know is trying to go on dates and imagining herself with with other people and whatnot you know in in that final moment that happens along with one of the sort of uh, ramping up moments of of the main storyline and it's just so interesting that that he pairs those things together about what do you actually do you know do you do you help a person who is probably desperate and in need who you've been sort of mindlessly watching or do you do you follow this story that is intriguing you and you're per, per, you know sort of personally connected to um and and I think there is again something to that that's very fresh and very modern. Um, and I I really I really think this movie of all of the Hitchcock Hitchcock movies that I've seen, this one is the most um, that I feel like personally connected to and yeah. and feel you know like it still has a a lot of relevance today, if that makes sense. And I think that's kind of what we always look for on this show together, right? Yeah. I think this film translates so well to a modern audience. I I meant to watch it with Juliana, but we ended up watching Vertigo together for a large chunk of it. And Juliana was like, I'm not really into this, you know? She was like, she was like, you know, it's just kind of emo, like <laughs> a lot of depression, suicide kind of stuff. She just wasn't and and I, I think it kind of had that stigma of like it's an old movie. But something about this film feels nostalgic old instead of it being like i don't know like <laughs> like boring old mm -hmm. in the way that the characters kind of begin to interact the one thing i thought of actually is and i can't believe i'm going to say this because i never think this is i think this film would be an incredible play an incredible stage play yeah um <laughs> i think i i don't know if anybody's ever done that but if they haven't they really should think about it um I hate stage plays. I never want to go see those. All right. I'm always like movies are clearly better and I don't think you'll be able to beat this film's execution, but I do see like the construction of the way that this film moves and has you engaged. Like, I don't know. There, there, there could be something there, but that I think that's kind of off topic. Well, I, I think there, I think there probably have been remakes of this, um, as, you know, as a stage play, but I, I agree. I think there is something kind of interesting about it, but, but I will say, I think film probably is the best medium for this story in that, um, so much of it is tied into the perspective of seeing it through James Stewart's character's eyes, seeing it through mm, his camera yeah. lens, seeing it, through his binoculars, you know, having, having this sort of POV vision of, um, you know, just watching these, these neighbors go about their business. I think there is something kind of uniquely filmic about it. Um, and it, it does have a, uh, I think it, I think it really does have a beautiful, um, even if it, if it takes place in one, you know, one setting, one location, it is the very essence of what, you know, 
of what people were doing sort of even in the very early days of film in playing with perspective and playing with these these different um you know the these different styles and and just doing it very simply where it's you are now looking through <laughs> the binoculars of the main character you know you are now looking through and and i don't know if you notice this but all of the music and all of the sounds everything is diegetic everything is in the uh in the mm. world so you know all of the music that's played is played by the uh by the composer who lives next door and all of the you know the talking and the chattering and the babble that's going on in the street you know it's all happening outside and so there is something very um connected i think to some of the early moments of of film it, the the early history of film that that it just taps into so well um so i i i really do think this works probably best um as as a movie i would agree i don't even like plays <laughs> i just thought it would be interesting you know <laughs> yeah, like, yeah that's all yeah. the way that the way that's kind of put put together um, I don't know why I went on this side tangent while you were while you were rambling. I looked at because when I have the, uh, the the Google page pulled up and it has an eight point five out of ten on IMDb, which I'm like, oh, you know, that's kind of it's interesting. Metacritic one hundred percent, Rotten Tomatoes ninety eight. Obviously, we only have good things to talk about. And then I ended up reading some of the negative reviews <laughs> on Google because um, I was like, I really want to know, like, because I feel high on this film. I wonder what people are bored with. I love it. Give me some bad ones. <laughs> this is my favorite okay. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was just going to say, because I was reading someone, let me see. Um, a majority of the complaints is that the concept of the film is really great. The idea of looking out the window and having, you know, like something mysterious going on and, and someone trying to figure it out from across the room. And I think a lot of people have copied this concept at this point, uh, but done it in a different way. So this review is, this film has a great premise, but it's such a poor execution. The characters are dull and uninteresting, and the film is far too long, all for nothing. One could watch the last 30 minutes and have, they, couldn't, they could have missed nothing of interest. There's little or no suspense. And then the final reveal, everything is is a is the, as the, well, I don't want to read that. Okay. Um, but you get the point, right? And so I read a review like that and I was like, okay, what did I how how could they be getting to that point? If you think the characters in this film are boring, you really miss something. Definitely. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> you clearly haven't watched French cinema, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, these characters have incredible layers that are shown in such a fun and pleasing way. I think most of the cast has an energy about them that's enjoyable to watch from the main people talking, whether it's, um, you know, the lieutenant who comes by. I really like Stella, his nurse. Yeah, they have she's like great. some great, some great interactions, and then um, Grace Kelly, uh, his his love interest is very strong. There's this tension between their relationship about him being made to go travel and be in these horrible situations, 
and her being like, can't you settle down for me? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's like, well, that's, it just not, it's never going to work. And they both have this sense of like, this is never going to work out because we're both never going to change. And yet they're still best friends and they keep hanging out with each other. Uh, and even when like, there's like, for instance, this, that review said like, just get to the point of like, is the guy the murderer or not? That's what we want to <laughs> see, which I, I guess I can understand that. But I think what's more interesting is that you're learning about LB as a character and how he's like, I am made to do kind of this thing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. how that's linked with his obsession with the rear window thing and how people like, I, what I found interesting is that people think he's crazy, but they also are kind of interested. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, everybody, also, everybody kind of thinks he's onto something a little bit, you know. Yes, and it, but it takes yes. a it takes a little while. It takes some convincing. But at a certain point, they all sort of agree with him. And then even the detective, who I think I think that relationship is probably the strongest in terms of. Well, maybe not strongest, but but plot wise, drama wise, his character, Doyle's character, is um, that's what makes you as an audience member invested, is because mm. you he he you know he sees something and he's and you're like oh yeah that is suspicious and then Doyle comes in and he's like well it's not that suspicious you know and and like he he does give some really good points about you know, well, I checked this out and turns out his wife, you know, telegraphed and, or whatever, you know, he call, she called or whatever. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's all nothing. And then, and then the next scene goes on and you're like, oh, well, how, I mean, how could they ever get over that? You know, his wife is still alive. And then, and then the next scene comes along and you're like, wait, maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's, maybe right, it's someone, right. you know, and so like, that's what kind of keeps you interested is, is his, his hook. And I think, I think this reviewer is wrong because he probably, maybe he didn't pick up on this or he, he didn't subconsciously get this, but, but Hitchcock is stringing you through these, these emotions of being like, now it's, it's not, you know, he didn't murder his wife and then getting back on board and be like, yeah, maybe he did. You know, maybe maybe there's there's something to this. And then going back to, no, I mean it can't be. You know, he's he's crazy. I mean, we saw her walk out of the the apartment. You know, we we obviously saw her. You know, what what else did we need? You know, what other evidence do we need? You know, things like that, where it's like he he's bringing you along this train of thought of of being um, being convinced in both ways. Um, and that's what's that. I mean, if that's not drama, if that's not intrigue, I don't know what is, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's something about going through the process of, of being convinced both ways that I think, I think anybody can, can relate to that, right? Like any, anybody who, who is thinking and, and understanding these topics, like, like that's what's interesting about these stories, about true crime or about anything like this, where it's like, well, maybe he did. And then you get convinced that he didn't. And then you get convinced that he did again. You know, there's this this flow of information where you you kind of things tip you over one way or another. Um, and it's interesting to follow that. So I, I just I I totally disagree that, you know, we just want to know what happened. 
Um, right. Because most right. of the time you don't know what happened. You know, there is no straight answer uh, for all these things. I also think that there's other things to pay attention to in this film as well mm-hmm. with all the different neighbors and their lives and what's happening with them, right? Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like, and, and a joke that Jules and I always say is that I have some form of ADHD, right? Uh, when I'm doing things, I'm kind of all over the place. Um, or I, I have a hard time focusing on stuff. And I think a movie like this, what really makes it feel modern is that it kind of tickles that ADHD for Definitely. me, at least, yeah. where where it's like, okay, I'm following some character drama. And then what's going on with this person? And what's going on over there? You know, like I'm learning different things about these different characters. And each neighbor has their own kind of stuff going on, even though you might not always know, or there, there might not always be like this dramatic conclusion to their plot line. There's still something interesting. Like with the ballerina dancer, her character starts as this, you know, beautiful woman that's, you know, she's dancing and you're like, okay, I get that, that neighbor, right? Like he's kind of being creepy watching her. But then like, um, Grace Kelly's character comes and he's like, oh, look, there's the the ballerina dancer again. And then Grace Kelly like adds this layer of like interest where she's like, well, I think she's doing something very difficult. Like she's she's like uh, like dodging amongst lions and she has like three men at her house. And right. She's like kind of, you know, um, like talking to all of them and she's kind of like handling them and entertaining them. And then Grace Kelly's character kind of says, I know it because I've done that, Mm -hmm. you know, and her heart isn't in it because she's in love with one man. Boom. There's like something even more interesting there. Right. Because suddenly the weird, the weird dancer across the room now has a depth that you can relate to because you're starting to kind of like Lisa as a character. Right. Um, And now you suddenly know where she or how she feels separate from lb right yeah uh and she's obviously an influential woman who could i guess like everyone talks about her around town being like she could get anyone she wants and she's still hanging out with this guy lb who's like i can't be around here right? i gotta go <laughs> yeah. travel around the world right um, who's, who's not interested i mean the you know the one guy who's not interested in her basically she keeps coming back to um you know, and they, I mean, they generally have like a great friendship too, um, yeah. which I think it, it, that helps, right? The characters in the film um, are people that you want to hang out with. And I know I was talking about that last week with Edgar Wright movies. I think that's just a huge thing in films where you're like, yeah, they could take as long as they want. Like mm-hmm. I like hanging out with these people. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I like how, and even going further, just to kind of follow that that train of thought throughout the movie, you're you're watching the ballerina dancer. Uh, who she is at the beginning is very different than who she is at the end because you find out about, you know, her love interest is this short, weird guy who is in the military, and you know they kind they finally connect at the end of the film, right? And it's just interesting how this plot of a character that you get glimpses into their life, like concludes uh towards the end of the film and so i i don't know i i guess i could see how you might think it's boring if you just don't want to give it a chance at all um but i do kind of feel like there's a lot going on with the different people that you're witnessing yeah um yeah no and and i will say like 
on the part of, you know, it, the characters not being that interesting for one. I mean, um, you know, James Stewart's character is, is an interesting guy in that he has this sort of, um, this like sole focus that you never get to see, which is kind of, um, unusual for a movie like this, where it's like, he's, he's prime, like primarily focused in his career in getting the story and getting the shot and, and being a photojournalist. And he's, he's very passionate about that. And, and he's cooped up in his apartment and, and he really has no way of getting out. And so he's, he's hungry for something like this to happen. And so when, you know, when he starts to get suspicious, part of you starts to think like, okay, maybe he's just drumming stuff up because this is what he does and this is his profession. And, you know, he's, he's seeing too much into, into these, um, into these, these little, little moments, um, just because he wants to get out and he's, he's hungry to, to catch the next story. Um, and, and that, that is interesting on that level. Um, also he's, you know, as the main character, it's, it's interesting to, to sort of put yourself in his shoes and kind of go through these, um, you know, go through these steps of being convinced and then not convinced and sort of following the story with him. And that, that is interesting. Um, but then Grace Kelly's character, I think, I think she has some really interesting qualities for one. I mean, Grace Kelly is, um, an incredible actress. And I think on totally on display here where she is playing someone who is kind of tortured by, um, you know, she, she has this, um, this elegance and this beauty. Um, and right from the moment you see her, it's like, Oh, she is, um, exactly what he described in that she is, too perfect for him basically <laughs> you know and she has this this sense of being um completely too elegant and and you know and and just just too good and then as you go along and as you as you sort of start to understand her more um you see that she has some um not not problems but she she has things that she's dealing with that she she kind of buries inside you know like like what she mentions with with you know miss torso where you know she's been in that situation where everybody wants her attention and she wants james stewart you know and then mm -hmm. there there's even later into the film she starts to get more and more involved and more and more interested in what he's doing and and what this story is and and she starts to sort of put it all together and become the adventurous um, you know, journalist that he is really looking for in a woman, which is, which is very unusual. I mean, I guess it's not that unusual for a love story, but it is, it is interesting how her character goes from being perfect already to being less perfect and doing things that are kind of questionable but that's actually what makes her more endearing and more likable as a person. Yeah. Is because she's I would doing say things like, she's doing things that you're like, "Oh wow, she is actually just so invested that she's probably doing something really stupid." <laughs> you know. It it feels like 
the person that is perfect suddenly became the perfect person for LB. Yes. And vice yes. versa with like their relationship. I think it's I think that plot line is super well tied up. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, right, with with this film, it does have a like a very satisfying ending. Mm. And that's where I want to bring it. And I kind of like this, Cameron. I might want to keep doing this maybe in next year. Um, but bringing up some of these Google reviews. <laughs> so I would like to close our conversation with this review and reflect on Hitchcock. Well, wait. Should we Should we do that or should we? Because we didn't really spoil this movie. That's what I, I got Okay, you, All right. We're getting right into the spoilers. Right, let's do so it. If you haven't seen this movie and you have interest at this point, you should watch it. 100%. 100%. Just watch it. I We highly recommend it. Yes. Both Cameron and I, if you can't tell. I think it's rocketed to the level of um, like a great, great movie for me in that I could I could rewatch this. I could see myself watching it in the future and getting more and more out of it. It's yes. like it's like one of those movies that you just can't get enough of. Technically, um, writing-wise, character-wise, I do think it's a masterpiece. I have no doubt in my mind I can say that for sure. So, so we're going to spoil this movie. And I want you to listen to this review, Cameron. I want you to think about Hitchcock <laughs> and your ideas around Hitchcock. Sure. And then after you watch this movie, and then I want you to respond to this kind of review. Very boring movie. <laughs> this movie could have been a nine, but they built it all up to the most stupid and predictable ending ever. Mm. What's the twist? What's the message? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean your neighbors are trying to kill you. Super disappointing. Hitchcock had it primed to deliver a powerful ending with Stewart's paranoia, either destroying his own life, getting his girlfriend in jail, his best friend fired, losing his own mind, and destroying his neighbor's life for no reason, getting him arrested for murder and all that stuff, right? In an era, or the era that this film was made demanded a much more, much more than a wholesome ending. As a result, we were forced to accept that despite all logic and evidence to the contrary, the paranoid crackpot murder theory of a shut-in <laughs> Uh, shut-in depressed photographer was dead right from the beginning. Uh, the film should be remade with a much more intelligent and thought-provoking ending. Mm. No stars given. <laughs> Cameron, what do you think of that? Well, you see, now I do... Um, first of all, I disagree. I don't think that... Um, that the time in which it was made had any bearing on the content of the movie because it's a much darker movie <laughs> given the fact that he was a murderer and he did and he did scatter his <laughs> his wife's body in the river so um i don't think necessarily that i i think i think there's 100% certainty that this movie could be made with the happy ending that he's imagining where um no one is a murderer and he's just a, a paranoid freak. And and to be fair, that is the modern ending of this movie. I have no doubt about that. Um, but I think what's interesting about the way that he does it is um, you are supposed to be going back and forth with whether or not uh, this was... <laughs> 
you know, like you don't believe him at first, and then you and then you start to to get an in, inkling of, yeah, maybe he did murder his wife, and then the detective comes comes in, and and you're like, no, you know, that couldn't have happened. So so really the the um the roller coaster ride is is you the tension of you not believing and you believing again and sort of going through this this sort of spiral of anticipation um and by the time that they have their final confrontation um you still really don't know and even when you know even if once he goes up to the apartment and he um and he confronts him that's that's really the moment and i think i think at that point it doesn't matter what uh <laughs> like it doesn't matter from from the audience perspective if he says you know no i'm innocent or you know yes i di- i did it whatever it is you know it has it really doesn't have a bearing on the intensity of that interaction um and the intensity of him sort of coming sneaking into that apartment and and the darkness of that that moment that could happen either way so i i really don't think the uh, the conclusion of you know whether he he murdered his wife or whether he didn't I don't think that matters that much I think the mastery is in the um, the tension that goes up and builds into that moment of the final confrontation I think that that moment could play both ways and he could actually he could even, you know, strangle him and and dangle him out the window and he could still be innocent. The movie could basically not change at all. Um and the the innocence or the guilt could could change slightly. Um that's not really the point of the movie to be fair. So like that's that's kind of what I I don't think I don't think that has any bearing on whether or not the movie is good. Uh like whether he did it he killed his wife or not. I really don't think that has any, <laughs> any, you know, implication on, on the mastery of, of the tension and the, you know, even the, the major moments of the film. So I don't know. That's just my thought. Yeah. Yeah. I, there are a few things I want to point out about the review that I think are a great backboard for our conversation. The first being that this viewer, was invested in believing what like he thought to be true. Yeah. Right. And I think that's major credit to the film being able to sort of keep you teetering on the edge of not quite knowing. Right. I find some viewers like this who watch mystery movies and be like, well, I figured it out early to be kind of annoying. Um, I, <laughs> I, I I watched like for instance I really enjoyed Knives Out I haven't seen the new Glass Onion yet right um, but some people who watched the movie with me or have talked about it with me were like oh well I knew obviously who it was and I was kind of like I don't think that was really the point of the movie <laughs> yeah, right? yeah yeah like exactly yeah. I mean I get that's like a drawing factor but what about like the 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 thrill of it right. I found much more enjoyment in like seeing it how seeing how it all played out and how the puzzle pieces came together and letting it like hit in a home run compared to like seeing if who I guessed from whatever point I deemed to be the cutoff 
right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what I don't understand is like somebody's watching it. They're like, I know, I know. And it's like, well, what if you were supposed to know like 20 minutes ago? Like, I don't know. Like, it was like, it wasn't a competition. You know? like, <laughs> it's a movie. Right? Sure. Sure. Um, that's the first thing I want to talk about. So I, I kind of understand where he's coming from. And I think it actually adds to the movies like, like, like craftsmanship and, and how, how great the movie is. The other thing I want to talk about, cause I just looked that up is that rear window is a 1954 movie. Vertigo is 1958 mm-hmm. and psycho is 1960. Yes. I had the experience of watching psycho vertigo and then rear window. Yeah. And it's sort of a slider of the modern, like kind of insanity <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Because, because Rear Window feels less like twisted and it has a lot to say. See, I, I was under the impression this entire review that this was later in his career. Nope. Um, up until now, right? And this is what I was looking for from Hitchcock. But with Vertigo, he kind of cranked the craze. And then with Psycho, it's definitely, you know, like, what is even this, right? And I I think maybe this reviewer had an experience of watching some of Hitchcock's later movies and seeing those wild twists and seeing the way that the movie kind of amps it up in that final chapter to an 11 where you didn't expect it to go there. And it's kind of like building up to this, this like energy. I, yeah, this, this movie is before all that, right? And still, there there is there is still a climactic ending um, that's contained within this film's kind of like setup. And I, I I don't know, like maybe he's just a fan of the later work, and to go in reverse is like hard for him. But in in my opinion, I was like, oh, for me, this was Hitchcock being more restrained, and I love that, you know, um, which. You know, maybe he was more restrained. Maybe he was just earlier in the career and not ready to crank it up yet, right? Um, I don't know, but I still think this movie is excellent, right? So I, uh, this is random too, just as I'm looking at these films, but there's that, that, do you remember that scene in Vertigo where um, he's in that old hotel? Uh, And, there's like the staircases. Like he he wants he wants to go up the staircases, like to see the room that she that uh um because we talked about this last week. That's why I'm talking about it now. Um, yeah, I, I the girl I kind of remember. Yeah, I I uh it's like the um the hotel after they go to the or after he follows her to the from the cemetery or oh yes from yeah yeah, yeah. From, from from the cemetery she's at this house and she's sitting in the window like i seeing them in reverse order i kind of wish we watched them in the in the other way because i think there are like these cool calls to the next film mm-hmm. in each one uh that that are kind of amplified for me that when i saw that hotel i was like oh my goodness this reminds me of the staircase at the end of psycho you know when they're like kind of going up and down yeah, uh, the staircase like in the house and whatnot. Um, and then in rear window, there's a ton of DNA in it, uh, like leading up to s- like the ominous horror or like the, the craze. <laughs> yeah. Right? The darkness. Right. Um, well, you know, what's so funny is we usually do. <laughs> we do do directors, um, you know, 
uh, first to last, basically. That's that's always how we've done it. Um, but this time, uh, weirdly, you know, I, I in my mind, uh, Vertigo was going to be kind of a one-off, and so I didn't really expect that we would do uh, Rear Window and then whatever we do next week, which I guess we'll talk about. But uh, I didn't, I didn't really expect to go backwards, <laughs> even though we we did kind of unintentionally. Um, so it is kind of an in- interesting perspective where we're we're sort of seeing him, but but to be fair, this is not him as an early director. Uh, he has been working, you know, Hitchcock had been working since like the thirties, since the silent era. So he was yeah. not like th- this really was a, uh, <laughs> you know, a master at work. <laughs> it wasn't like he was, he was like a newbie or anything, you know, it wasn't like his first movie, but, um, it is interesting to go backwards in that, in that way. And I, you know, I'm going through it with you. So, um, it, you know, unusual, but I feel like we have um, we both have like no experience with him, which is kind of an advantage uh, when we're doing it this way, where we're we're evaluating him just purely based on on what we think of the movies, not as like, oh, this is us seeing him progress as a director, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit more of a different approach to going through directors for us. Cameron, we can talk about what we're going to watch next week because I've always wanted to see The Birds. Okay. And I know, I I don't think it's a good movie, uh, but I'm just kind of curious, you know? So... We don't have to. We do not have to. I'm just just throwing it out there. It... I think it would be on the list because it really is one of those famous, famous movies. And I was just talking about it today with, with my um, uh, soon-to-be mother-in-law, I guess. Um, and uh, she was saying how it it totally scared her as a as a kid. Um, yeah, that's all I hear about this. And movie. my mom uh, was like freaked out as a kid. Um, so it is. Yeah, I I haven't seen it, um, but it is interesting to me but i might push it back because i think i think what would be interesting is if we continue to go backwards um oh and we watch a movie called rope uh which is another one of these um single uh location movies that he loves to do um and i was thinking about doing that next week but we we don't have to we can choose later if you want. Um, but I, I know rope has, it's another James Stewart movie. So we're, we're going to get a whole, a big fat dose of James Stewart. How do you, how are you liking him so far? He reminds me of my, my dad's dad, my grandpa. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I really find him to be charming and, uh, genuine. In his performances, right, which is right. which is interesting because I think um, you know early in his career, Hitchcock worked a lot with Cary Grant, and I find Cary Grant to be still very charming, but a little bit less genuine in his performance, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where he he is, uh, uh, Cary Grant, I think usually is playing sort of a comedic character, um, and. 
and Stewart, I think, is very much playing himself, or maybe not himself, but but really doing a good job of displaying his own personality or his own sort of mindset. You can really sort of get into this character who um, both of them are kind of similar, although in Vertigo, he, he goes a little bit crazy at the end, but, but both of them have this sort of like drive and passion um, if, and, and uh, in a way that, that makes it um, a little bit, like you're you you trust him, but you're really unsure of of whether or not he's doing the right thing. You know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like yeah. it's like hmm, like I, I I'm on board with this guy, but he's doing questionable things in the way that um, you're not sure if you should be on board, which is kind of interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I I think James Stewart is really great in the movies that I've seen him in. He's also 6'3". I don't know why I looked that up, but I think that adds to the fact that um, my he reminds me of my grandpa. My grandpa was like 6'5". Wow. Or something. wow. So, um, yeah, it's like a giant. But nevertheless, yeah, excited to see it. Let's do the rope, Cameron. Let's do the rope. Oh, it's just oh, called we rope. Can, we can do that. Yeah, rope. the rope. Sorry. Yeah. The, rope. the rope. The road. Let's watch the road, Cameron. Um, Depression. Maybe someday. I, I don't feel like Let's that is like a... A classic, uh, but maybe it is. Let's get know. depressed. So, so, are you gonna watch that new uh, HBO Last of Us show? Uh, I might. When does it come out? Uh, it's like early next year. Something. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I, I might. I don't know. I. I have the thing is like I love the Last of Us, and I really have no desire to revisit the same story. Uh, <laughs> I do. I would like to. I would like to play the remake. That's all I'm gonna say. Well, yeah, but I, have, I mean, but playing it is is different. I don't know. I would like to play the remake because I never finished the first. Oh, one. really? Oh, yeah, it's it's great. It. It's great. Um, well, I will say. So we talked a little bit about my thoughts about the ending. What were your thoughts about the ending in terms of? Um, do you think? Do you think it's worth it that? It ends up he's right and and you know he's the murderer. I know we both kind of said it doesn't matter, but I I think I think that that is a maybe not a fair criticism, but it is a um, not a totally unfair criticism of the ending of this movie. I really didn't want it to end the other way. Um, I felt like that the the dive into crazy town at the end of vertigo was sort of like it it took away some of the meaning for me. And I found that the ending that came together made me love the characters and where they like went together more. Um, and I think the, the ending scene with him with two casts and then, um, you know, uh, his his love interest sitting across from him, like it kind of comes full circle with their relationship, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's just some meaning there. I, I I don't know, like I thought I was a sucker for the good ending. <laughs> I I liked it. You <laughs> Me know? too. I'm not gonna lie. And, and I liked I love the the simple moments of of an ending like that where, um, 
you know, I mean, he really is just a great filmmaker. So him, him, you know, that, the, you know, his first reveal shot of he kind of pulls at, uh, you know, he's we're watching some of the neighbors and we pull out and we see that um, that, you know, he's in a cast the for, for the right. very first shot of the movie, basically. Um, and then the very last shot is the same, but it's two casts. And that's funny. You know, there's something just yeah. just enjoyable about that, that callback that um, there there is just something very uh elegant about that that use of of the same shot uh coming to reveal some information that we're interested in and then you know it pans to to Grace Kelly who you know is always always uh great on screen and she just you know it's it feels good it's you know it feels like like something nice is happening on screen you know there's there's like that that comic even though you know something terrible has just been found out that he's chopped up his his wife's body and put her in the river um you know it does feel like a a nice ending at the very end of it (laughs) so yeah yeah i i don't know because i found myself a little conflicted as well the reason i wanted to read that review is because i was like I thought it was going to go the other way mm-hmm. for a long time and it didn't. And I was relieved and I was like, I like this movie, but I did have that sneaking suspicion. I wonder if like Hitchcock fans were disappointed in this, but then looking at the order of releases, you know, I'm like, Oh, like, I don't know if I, if I see that. And it was funny how you're like, Oh yeah, if this was made in the modern era, that's where it would go. Right. I, yeah, I, I think the ending is great. Um, and you're right. Like the final shot is like, it's, it comes together. I I don't know what else you could want from yeah. the ending, you know, like, it's like, gee, like you can't argue with what, what would you want him rolling in a straight jacket in Arkham <laughs> Asylum or something? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand like how, how that's going to make the viewer be like, yes, you know, like this is what I wanted. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wh- yeah. What is a better ending to a movie like this? I mean, yeah. Cause, cause that guy's review was like, Oh, wouldn't it be better if he lost his mind, just divulge into crazy town. Right. And I was like, well, I kind of watched that movie already. <laughs> I watched vertigo, you know? Sure. And it's ending felt pretty. Well, to be fair, like, he, he's on the right track in vertigo too. <laughs> So, I mean, I know he he goes a little off the rails in you know, in in that, but uh, but he is he is correct, you know, he's he's correct about his <laughs> he's based. He's like, yes, I know, I know your secret, you know. He, I mean, it, it feels crazy, but but he is he is right even in that movie. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know what other ending you could have wanted. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like how how'd you conclude it? Yeah. Right? Home invasion, you know, the love interest gets killed in a home invasion, then the innocent guy. She I mean she know, goes to jail and police. Yeah, she goes to jail and, and then he gets like I don't know, like what yeah, the, what do uh, you the other lady overdoses and then you know LB like he's like, Well, I gotta throw myself out the apartment window. <laughs> like the end no okay well yeah i know but but uh, but i am serious i mean it would be the case in a modern movie that um you know he would it it wouldn't be 
you know, it, you know, he he would be peeping for nothing, basically. Which I don't know. Is that more interesting than than him being correct? Not really. <laughs> I'll tell you what happens in a modern uh, movie because I watched a show called "The Girl in the Window Next Door" with the woman or the something. Sure. I don't know. I watched this Netflix series. It's about this woman who's drunk. She's uh, you know her husband's dead. She's watching outside the window, and one day she thinks she sees a murder, and so she's trying to place it, put it together. You know. Um, this show, and I think I've talked about this on, on this you podcast did. before. Yeah. Yeah. This show ends with, it wasn't the husband. It wasn't the ex-wife. It wasn't all these characters you met. As a matter of fact, it was the child, the child who said, I hate mommy and daddy. And that's why I killed mommy. And I remember thinking, whoever wrote this is so dumb. <laughs> Like, I, I just remember thinking, like, I was like, this is, like, actually the stupidest thing I've heard. And and I could just, I just could, I could feel those, I could feel my hatred for Los Angeles burn within me mm, again. Mm. I was like, oh, ugh, Burbank, <laughs> North Hollywood. Like, I just can't stand those people sometimes. And I just want to know the person that was like, let's make it an evil child. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Like, evil child. Like, that's just so ugh. Isn't that trend over? You know, now they're making like Chucky a comedic character at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it just didn't work. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um. So. Well, I will say. Who knows? I I think um, uh, I think we both really highly recommend this movie. But I I did want to mention, um. Grace Kelly, I think, is an extremely uh, underrated actress in that she really has not had that many roles. Um, she she worked in basically the mid fifties, and that's it. You know, she worked for probably five or six years, um, and then she got married in nineteen fifty six and didn't didn't do anything else. Uh, you know, for the rest of her life. And she died actually, um, in a, in a car crash in her fifties. Um, so I think, I think she is one of those actresses who, um, was very short lived, which is kind of unusual. Um, you know, she only has a handful of, of film performances, most, you know, a lot with, uh, with Hitchcock and I think it, you know it really shows she's she's so impressive on screen for being so uh, like not not to say not a professional but not uh, not very prolific in in what she did so um, it's it's very yeah it's very impressive what she does in this movie I think this might be the only movie I've seen her in I think I think that's I think that's the case. So mm. yeah. So I I was really impressed by by her performance and um yeah, genuinely a, a a pretty interesting career as being someone who you know didn't do that much but really left an impact on you know on what an actress is and and you know how she carried herself. So well, 
I just read her Wikipedia a little bit. And yeah, she became a princess. She did. So yeah. I think that's what made Princess me... of Monaco. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of kind of interesting. Um but yeah, no, she is fantastic in this film. I do agree that with that. Cameron, I think we've said enough. Watch this movie if you haven't. Um, yeah. We post every Tuesday. If you enjoy it. We'll be watching Rope this week, and we will see you next Tuesday for another episode. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.